Welcome back to another episode of Reform, Reproduce, and Reconstruct. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. You can follow us on social media and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform so that you never miss an episode. Visit us at cr101radio.com forward slash reform, reproduce, reconstruct for these links. Today's episode is entitled Toxic Indifference and the Missing Sex Drives. We're going to be discussing Christian communities and how they're raising their children that do not seem, for some reason, to have any desire or urge to get married. They do not even attempt to make themselves attractive to the opposite sex, and they act as if they do not want any sexual relations with their spouse or to start a family. Is this a good thing, or is it destructive to the family and Christianity? That is what we're going to be discussing today on Reform, Reproduce, and Reconstruct. And I want to thank you again for joining us. Toxic Indifference and the Missing Sex Drives. I want to discuss this subject because this entire podcast is geared towards one thing. Towards your faith and your family and how that impacts the world around you. Reconstruction. To rebuild. Well, that doesn't start as single individuals. In the very, very beginning, when God created man, God said it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, single life is not the normal, natural state of mankind. It is very clear that there are certain people who do have a, let's call it, supernatural gift to remain single. And that is perfectly okay. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I have found some people who try to say otherwise, you must get married. Well, that's not actually true either. But it is not the natural state of man to be alone, or for woman in particular. If we go to Genesis 2.18, God said, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. As man goes through life, as our children grow up, they're not going to want to be alone. It is not the natural state of mankind to be alone. I've often heard that the worst case scenario, the worst punishment you could ever give someone, especially like in jail or prison, is to put them in solitary confinement. In and of itself, to be alone will drive people mad. It is not okay. We are creatures that desire community. And in particular, there is nothing of a more close community-knit thing than a marriage relationship. That's why it is very disturbing as Christians in the Christian community are raising children that do not seem, for some reason, to have any desire or urge to get married. I'm not sure, as far as putting our finger on the problem today, I think it is multifaceted, but I just want to point out as we start this whole thing on toxic indifference, that this is not natural. This is not normal. For Christians to potentially propagate the idea that it's okay to be single, and it's something that is not something that you should be like, well, I don't want to be single, I'd prefer to be married, and be working towards that goal, then I think this is something where we seriously lack theology. Because God is the one who said it's not good for him to be alone. 
And yet Christian communities all around the world are saying quite the opposite. See, man was given a woman to be his helpmeet. People really mess this one up too. Helpmeet doesn't just mean that it's his other half that does things that he doesn't do. It's so that she could help him in all the tasks and responsibilities that he had. The two worked together. In Genesis 2, 21 through 25, it says, quote, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I think this is very important stuff that as parents, I'm a parent myself, my wife Abby and I, we have 11 children. Our oldest is almost 20 years old this year. And we have our youngest, which is about three and a half. And so we have a large spectrum of, the, of ages. And the concept of marriage is one that's very personal to me. And one that I've been propagating with my children that they should desire and want to get married. Their goal is not to stay in the family forever. But so many people give you that impression. That for some reason, children are supposed to be content being with their family, their mommy, their daddy, their children, their brothers and sisters. And they should not strike out on their own. They shouldn't seek out a spouse someplace else. They're not supposed to stay at home forever. The baby birds do not stay in the nest. They have to be off on their own, building their own nests. People that believe, or the idea of Christian reconstruction, yet do not teach this most basic concept that of propagating marriage, promoting marriage, and helping your children not only understand it, but also helping them to seek it out, to start their own family, where they, as we just read, will leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouse as one flesh. We are robbing our children, the Christian community is, of what the gift of God, of marriage. Too many fathers and mothers, in my opinion, are seeking to forever retard the maturity of their children, of their sons, and of their daughters. I have seen people, when people are ready to get good, godly matches and marriages, will almost seek to thwart it, will seek to almost sideline the marriage so they can keep that son, they can keep that daughter in their family when there's no moral, biblical, or theological objections to said marriage. I don't get it. Perhaps it is selfishness on the part of the mother to want to keep the children with her. Perhaps it is a desire of dominance for the fathers to keep the children underneath his thumb so that they do not leave the nest and then strike out on their own to be their own man and woman with their own family to start out brand new. I can't quite put my finger on the entire thing, but I will say it is perverted. It is a unnatural thing for Christians to propagate this idea 
that they should stay in the nest longer and longer and longer. What happens is if you propagate this idea too long, if you do not promote marriage too long, you end up with a crisis. And a crisis is exactly what we have. I've recently talked with many people, the young women in particular, who were promoted to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait by their parents. And now we have a crisis of older women seeking now to be married. And now, of course, because they are now older, they find it much more complicated and difficult to find a man and a spouse for them now that they've gotten older. And the same thing is happening for the men. The men are now entering into their 30s or 40s. And now, of course, the young ladies, when they are going back out there to find women, are going, well, I don't want a man that old. I'm looking for somebody closer to my age. And because, of course, they're looking for somebody closer to their age, they're also going to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait, and they're not going to have anybody to marry. And it has been a crisis in the Christian community for a very long time. This idea that it's not being propagated, not taught, not pushed, and not happening. Without rebuilding the first institution, which is marriage, which takes marriages to start, there is no Christian reconstruction in the world. And yes, there's nothing wrong with being single. But as we said, it is not the natural state of man or woman. The family's goal is not to create perpetual infants who need mommy and daddy to take care of them. Yes, the children grow, start their own families, and assist to take care of their parents in their old age. But they need to leave the nest. If you are a parent and you're listening to this, this is something that you should understand. You should be promoting the idea of marriage, not older marriage, not wait till you're 25, wait till you're 30. We're talking when they're younger. Now, we're not talking 14 and 16 years old. But if you start at a, what we could probably all consider to be a general age, at least in our culture here in America, 18 is considered to be adult, where you can vote and do everything else. So that's a good starting point for propagating the concept of marriage, 18, and early, not 25, not 35, not 45. Moving on, another seemingly problem is not just this idea that they're not having a desire or urge to get married at all, but stay home with mommy and daddy. But they don't seem, for some reason, and I don't get it, to have an attraction for the opposite sex. Because these two kind of things go together. And I don't really understand that. Where I think the Christian community in general has gone too far to the left and too far to the right. If we go too far to the left, then we are promoting an overabundance of sexual attraction which can lead to pornography and other deviations of behavior. Or you go too far to the right where you're not supposed to want anybody, you're not supposed to look at anybody, you're not supposed to be attracted to anybody anytime you look at somebody and you are attracted to them, this is evil. Well, it's also not true. How else do you think you're going to find a young man who wants to marry somebody, or a woman who wants to marry a man because she finds him handsome. The two should find each other, yes, visually pleasing. And some people would say that, well, that's just attraction. That's sexual attraction. Let's just say what it is. When a man looks at a woman, that is a sexual attraction. And that has to be part of it for them to find a spouse. 
But for some reason, I think the Christian community has gotten so far off onto the right-hand side, they fall into the ditch on the opposite side, where not only do they tell them not to look at other people, possibly as a, a person that they find pleasing. Good luck with that, by the way. They're going to do it anyways. But also, they don't dress like it. They encourage them not to dress in a manner to draw attention, because this would be horrible. This would be terrible. Well, actually, there's nothing wrong with a person dressing nicely, a young woman dressing nicely, or a man who is dressing attractively so he can look presentable and nice. They're going to find each other attractive, and it is part of the process to do so. To go too far into it, to the left, would be to wear burqas, like our Muslim communities in the world, who try their best to say that any feminine features leads to sin. On the right-hand side, they, of course, would be the opposite, with too much, and now everyone is dressing like a whore and a whoremonger. Well, there are two sides of the road, and they're both ditches, but there is a middle ground that is perfectly acceptable, where young men and women can dress appropriately, be attractive, and yet, at the same time, not be covered up like a Muslim, and not be dressing like a whore or whoremonger at the same time. Because with these things, people are supposed to, of course, have these physical attractions to each other. This is normal, and this is also, of course, how you have your attractions to each other. It's something that to be encouraged to dress nicely, to attract someone. Now, not to attract in an illicit manner, but once again, people go off the left and the right. I think the Christian community in general has gone way too far off on the right with this concept of saying we should never, never dress to attract. Well, yes, you should. Specifically those who are looking possibly to find a spouse. They should look as if they are trying to be presentable. Young women can be beautiful and pretty without becoming whorish or, or burka-ish. And young men, of course, can do the same thing. It goes both ways. But to try to tell women that they have to dress in little tiny dresses that don't show anything like a burqa, and they can't fix their hair but have to have it all pulled back or covered up. They can't wear any makeup and no lipstick and no eyeliner because any makeup is a whore. These things are ridiculous and not backed up by the Bible whatsoever. There is a giant difference between being homely as a woman or a female and being whorish. There's a giant difference. And any normal person can understand the difference between these two things. One is homely, one is whorish. But there is a middle ground that is what we consider to be beautiful. And to deny beauty is to deny God's creation and what women are. Let me give you something I thought was very interesting as I was reading on this subject and thinking about it, because I know there's many people out there that are going to disagree with this concept that women should be beautiful. Going through the Bible itself, very interesting, because a couple of women I like to point out here that the Bible deliberately and specifically was saying we're beautiful. Not just that, not just that the men of their husbands that they're beautiful, but other people did. Now, we had to start with, I think one of the first people was Sarah, Abraham's wife. He actually had to, you know the famous story, hopefully, had to tell her to say that I'm your brother because she was so beautiful, even at a very advanced age, that men, he thought, might kill him to try to get her. She was that beautiful. Isaac had a similar problem. 
Rebecca was said to be beautiful whenever the servant of Abraham found her originally. And then later on, of course, Rebecca and him had a problem, of course, with another king, very similar to what Abraham had. And he had to have Rebecca also say, that's my brother, because she was so beautiful that he was afraid that she would be taken and he would be killed. Later on, we have um, Jacob getting married to Leah and Rachel. And the Bible says that Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was very, very beautiful. We have Abigail and David. Abigail was married to Nabal, and it says that she was a very wise woman and also very fair and beautiful to look at. Very pretty woman. And then, of course, one of my famous, most interesting ones, and as a father, I can kind of associate this a little more, is that Job had lost his ten children. But, of course, after his trials, he recovered, and God blessed him again. And the three daughters that he had uh, after his trials were told to be the fairest in all the land, three of the most beautiful daughters in the entire land. God does not have a problem with beautiful women. God has a problem with sin. That is the giant problem that the Christian community cannot seem to get. Beauty does not equal sin. A nice hairstyle does not make it sinful. Wearing lipstick or a nice dress or shoes that are, you know, accessorizing does not make one a whore. It just makes them pretty, beautiful even, desirable potentially by other people, as all the women I just mentioned were. It was well known that they were desired by other people. But their beauty was not a sin. To look nice and to be very pretty was not a sin. And so fathers that are out there, they should encourage their daughters to not wear burqas and possibly be homely, but they also shouldn't advocate them to be whorish. It's their job to find that line where it's at. The concept of modesty is a major one in our society, in the Christian community, that's not modest. Well, you can't find the definition for modesty anywhere in the Bible whatsoever. At least to the extent that what these people would claim it to be. But there is a dividing line between a person who is being whorish, a person who is attempting to attract because they're trying to violate God's law. This is different. But there is nothing wrong with young people, number one, being attractive, in other words, being handsome, being beautiful, and there's nothing, also nothing wrong with noticing that and appreciating it, especially as a young person who is looking for somebody to marry. And so if you would like your children, or if you're a young person who's single, if you would like to attract somebody, if you would like to try to find a spouse, that's a really good place to start. Because yes, it is overly important about what's on the inside. The inside is actually much, much more important than the outside. But the outside does count. And it's the first thing people see. I venture to tell you that many people never get to see what's on the inside because the outside is repulsive to them. A person who refuses to take care of themselves, a person who refuses to attempt to make themselves attractive to a potential spouse, 
is not going to get the opportunity to show what's on the inside. And many parents around the Christian communities are saying, well, those kinds of people, you really don't need them anyways. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for a saint? Do you think all the girls are saints out there? Do you think all the boys are saints? Do you think that they are not looking at that person and saying, hmm, she's extraordinarily pretty. I'm going to go talk to her and pass over the others. That's exactly what they're doing. Do you think that the little boy who's sitting over there, or young man rather, that is himself potentially homely and unkept and not ironed and maybe doesn't have a haircut, maybe this weird obsession with bushy beards that are completely unattractive to males and females alike because they can't properly shave because they're too lazy to shave. Do you think that that person's going to get a chance to talk to somebody and show them what's on the inside? Or would they be passed over for someone else who makes an effort for an outside appearance? A person who just lets themselves go and refuses to either diet if they have uh, you know, weight problems of any sort, male or female, doesn't matter. Do you think that they're going to get the same fair shake as the person who does attempt to take care of their body and exercise, dress nicely, cut their hair, shave their face, fix their hair, wear makeup if they're a young lady, in a moderate amount, of course. Yes, this is important. To try to say that it's not is to deny that we are people and what we do. Young men and women do, at the beginning, on the outset, 99% of the time are going to look at the outside package. Now, it does not mean, of course, that's all there is. And it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. But it is what they're doing. And it's what your children are going to do. I expect my children to do it as well. Because I can tell you, I was young at one point, and I looked at the outside package too. Every single person does. The inside is the most important part. But you have to get your first step through the door. So consider this Parental Advice 101 if you are going to have children and want to attempt to have them married off. If you're a young person who's trying to get married, that's also what I would suggest as well. Now, besides just that, you're also going to want to try to talk to people because even if the person is attracted to you, potentially because of the outside looks nice, if they try to talk to you and you refuse to talk to them, which is a big problem with a lot of people in the Christian community, somebody's just going to pass right over you to somebody who might be a little bit more willing to speak and to talk. So when it comes time for you to show what's on the inside, you're going to need to be able to do that. And parents, you should encourage that. So moving on, that is one aspect that I thought really is disturbing. This concept of we're not supposed to have outside beauty and we're not supposed to be attracted by the outside or encourage external beauty. We should encourage it. We're not Muslims and we're not raising whores. But it doesn't mean that our young men and women can't look presentable, they can't look attractive, and can't be pleasing to the eyes of both males and females without sin. Yes, we can. And that is what we should be doing and promoting. Now, these things start, however, from a young age, a very young age, when you're promoting the concept of marriage, when you're promoting the concept of how you dress, when you're promoting of how you present yourselves. This isn't where you start when they're ready to try to find a spouse. These things start at the youngest of ages when they're 
you know, just trying to learn how to dress. And I can tell you that, especially with my young girls, from the very first moment they start realizing that they're women, that's the time to start pointing out what they should be attempting to uh, project. And fathers, in particular, if you're listening to this, it is your job to set that standard. You're not raising Muslims who are burqas, potentially, and uh, that's their thing. But you're also not raising people to think that your daughters are easy. You want them to be raised to be attractive young women who are grounded on the word of God and who, yes, are looking for spouses in the future. And this way, they know and are projecting the proper thing for what they're doing, especially the young men as well. Not only is it the external packages, how they present themselves, how they talk. All these things are very, very important. Because physical and sexual attraction are normal. I mean, that's why you have men and women. You should promote these things. We should encourage our children from the youngest of ages to understand these things. Beauty, as we've gone over with Rebecca, Sarah, Rachel, Abigail, the daughters of Job, is a thing that is godly and should be promoted. But one thing I think is still very, very disturbing is the concept that these things are good and not destructive. What are the results? What's the fruit of an overzealous modesty concept? What's the fruit of the stay-at-home-and-hide concept where you're never going to dress you know, appropriately with any attraction whatsoever. You're going to look homely. What is the fruit of this? Do we have a plethora of marriages happening? Or are we having a backup, a constipation, if you will, of young people not getting married? We're having a crisis of Christians being able to form Christian marriages so all those people who would like to think themselves Christian Reconstructionists, we need to rethink our ideas about forming marriages, promoting marriages, and the concept that it's not wrong for children to want to have sex. It's not wrong. That's a God-given urge and desire. It is how and the outlet that it finds that makes it sinful, or godly. If a young man has a standard, normal sex drive, he is attracted to women, he wants to get married, and he wants to have sexual relations with his wife. It's also perfectly okay to acknowledge the fact that young women should, yes, find young men attractive, yes, want to start a family, and yes, have sexual relations with their husband. That's an okay thing. For some reason, I think that people have gotten shy on the concept of what their children are going to grow up and do. Especially if you are married. I'm married. I have a wife. I mean, that's how children are born. These are the birds and the bees. I'm not sure why we can't promote such things and teach them properly. Because all the young people act like they have all the time in the world... And they're not really interested in other people. And the concept of sexual relations, oh, that's just not spiritual. And that's not what marriage is about. Yes, that's what marriage is about. Did you not understand 
that God created man and woman to procreate? Did you not know that? This is the proper outlet for that sexual desire. This is the proper outlet for that sexual attraction. This right here. Genesis 1, 27-28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Yes, marriage is about sexual relations and procreation. There's absolutely nothing wrong with these two things. And to think that for some reason, sexuality within marriage is just about procreation, it's not. It's also about recreation, if you are unaware. And there's nothing wrong with teaching these concepts to our children as they're old enough and able to handle the concepts. They should see a pattern within your marriage of sexual attraction between father and mother. They should see this. They should understand that father and mother have a sexual attraction amongst themselves. This is not a concept to be shy about, but for some reason, it's like something nobody ever talks about. Don't, don't talk about that because mommy and daddy aren't sexually attracted to each other at all. Shh. Yes, they are. That's the concept. It is a normal, positive sexual activity within marriage. That's where it's supposed to be. And it's not something that's just done so you can have children it's done for recreation. It's something to be enjoyed. You're told in the Psalms and Proverbs in particular to be ravished with your wife at all times. This is not something that you just get together once a month to try to have a child. This is something that you enjoy all the time as if you would food. Now, I'm going to close up this a little bit. I hope I've sparked a little bit here for our listeners of why there's a toxic indifference to getting married, that they just don't seem to want to do it. And the missing sex drives is that they just don't seem to have that urge I'm describing right now. I want to get married because, yes, I want to have children and I want to start a family, but the normal God-given sex drive that I have for a woman is God-given, and I would like to be able to utilize that in a proper manner, and for her as well. And it's so ridiculous for people to act as if guys don't have these God-given natural sex drives and attractions for a woman. And if the, also, the women don't have them as well. Of course they do. We need to really get our heads out of the sand where they should be, teaching our children properly these concepts and stop blushing about them when they're God-given. Because when you don't talk about them, when you don't teach them properly, guess what? The rest of the world is. The rest of the world has no problem teaching your children about what they should like, what they shouldn't like, the outlets that they should do, and how to do everything else in between. They have no problem being the one to step in where you're neglectful and refuse to teach your kids about marriage. They have no problem at all. The Proverbs 7 is very interesting to me. I'm going to read the whole thing. Because my listeners here, if you're still with me, you may not have read this before. There's many passages in Proverbs in particular talking about sexuality and our view of it, what it's supposed to be, the proper 
view of sexuality, and it is geared towards a father teaching his son, which also means his daughters, his children. This is supposed to be your viewpoint on it, and you're supposed to teach it, not something you shy about and refuse to talk about. But Proverbs 7 has in it 27 verses. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. This could also be the strange man, the seducer for your daughters, the strange woman as the seductress for your sons. What is going to keep them from being seduced? Very simple. Keeping the commandments as the apple of thine eye. You have to teach the commandments to your children so they know what they are. People that have dumped the commandments, refused to teach them for decades, are seeing the fruit of such. People that have been promoting the concept of saved by grace, not by law. That's all true. But then they've dumped the law as if it had no purpose and use. The law has no purpose and use for justification, for salvation. But it is our guide to sanctification. It's how we are now to live. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Why? That they keep thee from the strange woman and from the stranger that flattereth with her words. Your children not only need to be taught about the proper role of sexuality, of attraction, of men and women and marriage and things like that, but all of it is based and founded on the commandments, the Ten Commandments and all the case laws therewith that teach us what is good for us to do and not good for us to do. If they do that, when the strange woman comes, the seductress to your son, when the strange man comes as a seducer to your daughter, they will be able to see it for what it is. They will not be fooled because they will not be led by their passions. They will be led by God and his law. They will be able to see the difference between lawful attraction and unlawful attraction. They will be able to see the difference between lawful associations and unlawful associations. Because if the woman is dressing in a manner, as we were mentioned earlier, because I know some people probably don't agree with the concept that I've said about beauty and allowing your daughters to be beautiful. If they understand that concept, they will not be dressing in a manner to attract the seducer. The young man will not be dressing or having a uh, association, the way he talks, the way he's looking for, to attract a seductress. They will know not to do these things because they are out there. They want to grab your young son and your young daughter and drag them down into the mud with them. That's what they want. If we go further down in this passage, uh, going to verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. A person who is void of understanding is a person who does not have the commandments or a discipline of foundation therein. Verse 8. Passing through the street near her corner, 
and he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. This is imagery which can obviously be very literal. Of a person who's going out at nighttime to get themselves into trouble. I recall when I was growing up that many people would sneak out of their homes and be looking for trouble. And wouldn't you know it? They'd find it. But also, it's not just about a literal going out at night, but it's also going into places that you know you shouldn't be morally. You're purposely going into those dark areas morally that you know you should not be, associating with people you know you should not associate with, having conversations you know you should not have, acting in a manner to seduce yourself in a way. Because you want to be seduced. You want the seductress to find you. You want the seducer to find you and make you want to be seduced, to make you want to be the seducer. And so this is very important because the teaching of the law keeps you safe from deliberately going out of your way to find problems. And that's what this young man is doing in Proverbs 7. Verse 10 And behold, there he met a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Attire of a harlot, as we said before, is a woman clearly who is doing something in order to draw illicit sexual attraction to somebody so that she can draw him in. She's subtle of heart, meaning that she's trying to seduce him that what she is doing is going to be fun. The young man trying to seduce your daughter the young woman trying to seduce your son, this is what they're going to be doing. They will be dressing in a manner, not just of clothing, but also of how they speak, their mannerisms, their subtle of heart. And they will be trying to seduce your children to come their way. This is the very important reason why to teach that commandment to your children, the commandments and the laws, so they stay away from such things. Because they have to be taught one thing, you want to be seduced. You want to be seduced by a woman if you're a man. You want to be seduced if you're a man by a woman. And these things are something that your children need to know. That they are not above it. The sin nature is what it is. And you will go out of your way without God's help and without a foundation of the law to be seduced. And you want it. Verse 11 says, She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face she said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Those people, and there's lots of people who have different ideas about um, physical contact between people prior to marriage. I don't see any reason why a person, this young man, young female, should ever have physical contacts of a sexual nature prior to marriage. I don't see any biblical justification, justification for such things. Here, she's kissing him. He's gone out of his way, places he knows he shouldn't, at times he knows he shouldn't, to find exactly what he's found, and now he's entered into a physical, a physical relationship with this person. First he listened to her, and now he's engaged now in a physical relationship. And then they go further. Therefore came I to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestries, with carved works, 
with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamons. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Now this is very simple. Seduction. Male and female, both sides of it. Seduction. Let's live in the moment. Let's live for the emotions of it all. Let's get caught up in the moment and let's just enjoy ourselves right now. This is a dangerous thing that your daughter and your son or you want to get caught up in. Human nature is what it is. It wants to be seduced. It wants to fall into uh, situations like this and then claim ignorance. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing. God does not give us an outlet. God will not give your children an outlet. As the father and mother, your job is to warn them as part of your education about these concepts. If you warn them about these concepts, it goes along with the idea of also seeking out. Because you're not trying to seek out a person in order to seduce them. You're trying to seek them out in order to create a godly, lawful marriage. You're not trying to create this right here, this momentary, unlawful relationship that is both mental and physically unlawful. To have a mental and physical relationship with a person who is not your spouse is an unlawful and ungodly thing. Verse 19 says, For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the appointed time. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. This is seduction. See, people want, once again, to be seduced. This young man in this proverb has gone out of his way in the dead of night in the direction of the harlot where she was at on purpose because he knew what she was and he wanted her to seduce him. Your children, our children, need to be taught the same things. You are not strong enough to overcome such things. You want these things to happen. We have to go to God and fear that we would give ourselves into such things and cause ourselves much pain. And I fear within the Christian communities, this is not taught. I know that Christian communities are absolutely just overrun with sexual immorality. But not marriage, not children, not sexual families, uh, you know, sex within families. They're not doing that. They are purposefully, by their lack of theology, lack of teaching, lack of teaching the commandments, preparing their children for failure. And whenever it happens, they say, I just don't know what happened. They can't hold the responsibility of the parent and say, I have failed to teach my children the commandments. I have failed to have a godly marriage in front of my children and propagate the same to my children. They failed to do that. Have you? Verse 22. He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strikes through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. He's going for a good old time. He's going to go in the middle of the night. It's exciting. He 
leaves and goes through the streets in the shadows, hoping not to be seen. He knows where she lives. He knows the corner where she's at. And when he gets there, he is excited to see her. When he sees her, he's waiting for her. And she does exactly what he wants. Starts to speak oh so smooth things about how she loves him so much. What we're going to have together is a beautiful thing. You're going to enjoy it so much and find it so fulfilling. Come and yield to me. You will have the time of your life. Yet, he's like an ox who goes to the slaughter. He's a stupid animal who's about to be killed. He's a fool that's going to go to be disciplined. And as a bird who's getting caught in a snare who's going to be killed as well. Solomon finishes with this in verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray into her paths. For she shall cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Now he's talking to children. These are not somebody who's adult. You start when they're young ages teaching this kind of stuff as it's age appropriate, I would say, when they become aware of male-female attraction, which actually is quite young, actually, to come to think of it. But let thine heart not decline to her ways. This is your innermost being. You shouldn't have left the house. You should have known better than to go out into the dark where you could hopefully not be caught and seen. You should have known better not to go to where she was at because you knew where she was at. You should have known better not to listen to her. You should have known better that you're not going to get a blessing from this. It's only going to give you a curse. And it says, don't go astray into her path. Don't go that direction. Your heart causes you to walk a certain direction. The young man had failed from the moment he stepped out the door. Why? Thou shalt not covet. It all started in the heart. He did not obey the commandments in thought, word, or deed, and it started in his heart. Your children need to learn that. They need to learn that in their heart is where everything starts. If your heart is right, then it will control the outside. The young girl can seek to be beautiful and pretty on the outside without becoming whorish. And it's not just her outward appearance that can be whorish. It can also be her attitude, which is actually the most important part. The young man is the same. His appearance can be that of a whoremonger or that of a well-put-together, handsome young man who would make a good match. His attitude also can be one of a seductor, a seducer, or that of a man who is seeking to honor his future wife. And same for her. But it starts, as we said at the beginning, with the teaching of the commandments. But there is a giant, massive problem, toxic indifference to the concept of marriages, of wanting to make marriages, of wanting to be attracted to other people. No, teach your children godly sexual desires and the proper godly institution for its outlet. Teach them God's law concerning sexuality in all the commandments and specifically the proverbs teach them how to avoid sin teach them their weakness for sin teach them their propensity for sin 
and then propagate in them the idea and understanding of a godly marriage and how to find it and try your best to do it. I know I'm trying my best and I've tried my best as well. It's a constant work in progress. If you're a young man or a young woman, you need to understand these things and your weaknesses. It's okay to be attracted to men. Don't try to act like you're not. It's okay to be attracted to women. It's okay. Don't act like you're not. It's ridiculous. But there is a proper way for this to be formulated. You want a godly man. You want a godly woman. You want your spouse, your husband, and your wife. And that is where you're going to fulfill every desire that you have of this nature within marriage. God-given marriage. You don't have to be indifferent. Accept the fact that you are wanting and attracted to men and women. If you're a young man or woman. Embrace the idea that you would like to have sexual relations. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's done within God's designated area. The family. So don't worry about these things. We need to stop acting like they don't exist. We need to give our children a proper view of it. of How to create Christian families. And that's how we are going to start influencing the world. Because the very first thing you have to do besides your own personal issues of dealing with your own sin is start a godly family. And then raise godly children. And we'll talk about godly children and more of the family later. But I hope I have given you something, as I always say, to think about here on Reform, Reproduce, and Reconstruct. Toxic indifference and the missing sex drives. I'd like you to join me again on our next episode of Reform, Reproduce, and Reconstruct, where we discuss more about the family, more about Christianity, and what we can do about it. Find me again at cr101radio.com forward slash reform, reproduce, reconstruct. This is Jeremy Walker, signing off for now. Thank you, and God bless.